0: And off we go. Welcome aboard. Glad you're with us. I'm your host, Jacques Hopkins. And right over there is our co-host. What's going on, Dr. K? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing, I'm doing really well, man. Really well. You want to know why? Why? Well, it's been a long time coming, but the new course, the new platform is launched. Finally, it's out there as of the past few days.
1: (laughs) Awesome. I'm proud of you, man.
0: Congratulations. (laughs) How long did it take, man, since we first started talking about this? I mean, legit, probably six months. I'd say eight, probably just like that first time you made your course. We got to be up to about eight. So many lessons learned. I'm so glad that we finally Mm -hmm. got here. But there's, you know, a lot of times when we have guests on the show, one thing I, I try to ask them is like, hey, knowing everything you know now, going back when you first decided to make your course what would you do differently? And man, if you asked me that question about this kind of revamp, relaunch, there are so many things I would have done differently.
1: Well, well I mean, we should spend a, a period of time talking about that. Maybe plan for that for uh, the next episode record if you've got a lot. No, I mean,
0: it boils down to one big thing and I've talked about it certainly, but it's not being laser focused, right? It's trying to do way too many things at one time and Mm -hmm. trying to do all those things really, really, really well was a bad idea, right? You can do, if you do a lot of things at one time, you got you can't do everything to perfection or you can do one thing at a time and try to make it as good as possible. And for me, what we try to do is we try to evaluate all these course platforms, move over to probably the most complicated one that we chose, redo the whole course, taught it live at the same time, also added some new courses, right? The classical course, the jazz course, way too many things going on. I mean, the, the classical and jazz, we got those all recorded. And then it was like, oh, wait, we've only got one video editor and he really knows our system, our processes, how we like to do things, rather not bring in another video editor. So we kind of put those on hold. We had those recorded in like November and we still don't even have those videos edited. So we decided, you know, getting the platform and the new core course out was the top priority. And that is what is now available. But we had to take a step back, you know, we've taken a step back from the online course guy, from this podcast, from some other things and just being more laser focused, you know, that the one thing, you know, Gary Keller, one thing, ultra important. And for some reason, I forgot about it for a few months.
1: Well, I mean, you have good company. I mean, we can look at Elon Musk. I'm a fanboy of his and the Model X, it's like he had success with the Model S. And then he's like, for the SUV, let's make it have Falcon wing doors and and this and that and added a lot of complications. So as of today, are you still glad that you have chose your platform or how are you feeling? Yeah,
0: I am. And You know, the Buddy Ball, the WordPress solution is not for everybody because it has been a lot of work. There's a lot of pieces and parts. There's a lot of things you have to know about. And it's been a struggle at times, but we have it in a really good place. And there's way more features, there's way more customization than I would be able to have in any other place. And then, as you know, one of the main reasons I selected it as well is because of the mobile app. And that should be rolling out here sometime in March. So hopefully by the time this episode airs, the app itself will be released, which I'm super excited about that. That is exciting. I'm excited to see that. Yes. So that's the big thing going on. And, you know, a couple of days ago, I actually got an email from your wife and she was like, I, I don't know if you know me, but I'm David <laughs> crosey's wife. Like, I, I really want to sign up, but I got to get the keyboard, this and that. And she asked me a few questions. Did you know she was interested in my course?
1: Yes, she reached a tipping point where she, you know, I'd play the podcast episodes for you or for her. And she'd say, I want to, she, she finally said, I want to join. And I said, well, you have to go through the process. Like, you're going to have to listen to the webinar. <laughs> and uh, just, I'm like, if you come out of it super excited and you're committed, then great. You know, let's figure it out. But yeah, so she went through the webinar. You want to hear her most interesting takeaways? I'm I'm a little nervous, but yes. Okay, well... The most exciting point of the webinar was uh, you have a testimonial where you share a guy said that he learned to play Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. And she just loved the idea of playing Metallica on the piano. So she loved that. Definitely the thing that she's most excited about is the (laughs) t-shirt. So so we got a Christmas card from you and she saw, I pointed out your I'm kind of a player shirt. Yeah. Yeah. When she learned that there's an actual physical package in this t-shirt, she's like, That's the most important thing.
0: (laughs) That's hilarious. Yeah, people love those physical packages. That was a great thing. We added probably three years now we've been doing that. Well, that's cool. Yeah, I know she hasn't signed up yet, but I know she's interested. So I told her to definitely let me know when and if that time comes. And I've got a nice little... Podcast co-hosts' wife discount for that I can share. You know, I don't
1: discount my course
0: often, but I think she deserves it.
1: Yeah, the one kind of funny thing, she was kind of walking away after we were talking about the webinar, and she kind of called out. She said, "There's still no one like Nate Dodson." <laughs> and so,
0: in terms of what
1: she was just like, Jock is awesome, but I still love Nate.
0: <laughs> like because of the, the, his webinar, the way she felt leaving his webinar versus mine is what you're talking about.
1: Well, he's just her first guru, let's say because she joined his course. (laughs) For people new to the podcast, you got to go back and listen to those first 20 episodes and and get to know Nate Dodson. But I'm excited about her joining too. I am excited to become an affiliate of yours at some point. I have two really great video ideas. And so the idea that Val is learning to play piano through your system, that'll fit in great with those. And then the other thing, since I play guitar, I was like, Val and I can form a little rock band. And I was like, Mm -hmm. that could be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah. Being able to jam out with your wife sounds pretty fun. Cool, man. Well, We could probably talk about this for a while because I'm really excited about the new course. There's probably... We had about 20 beta testers, just people I knew that had previously signed up for the course. And and now we've got about 20 new students in the course. So anybody new that signs up, goes to the new stuff, and then migrating all of my old students is one of the next big initiatives as well to kind of migrate them over to the new platform. So that's a little daunting. So right now, there's not a ton of people in there, but we're adding more people every day. Nice. So the core conversation today, Hustle and Flowchart. These guys are from the Hustle and Flowchart podcast. Are you familiar with that podcast? I wasn't before I I saw this interview. Man, it's a lot of fun. It's a great podcast. Very, very popular. They've had some just huge guests on their show. I was introduced to these guys by Jack Bourne, who was the the creator of Deadline Funnel, which I've talked about a ton on this uh, podcast. And when Jack introduced them to me, one thing that jumped out is he said, the guys like to talk about two core things, growing an audience and monetizing an audience. And we don't talk about like growing an audience in t- a ton here but we talk about monetizing it a lot and our recommendation is we monetize an audience with an online course and he also said their audience is super engaged and the guys will make it A fun time for you, which is true. They're super casual, have a bunch of fun. I know they have a pretty diehard audience as well. And so that's the story about how these guys came on the podcast. So there's a lot of value here um, in this conversation. They clearly know what they're doing. They're more than just podcast hosts. They've got their own membership. They've got a course coming out soon. They have some failed course ventures in the past. They also do something really interesting where they will physically mail out their members just kind of a a monthly newsletter, which was very interesting to hear about as well. So as usual, the next thing we'll do is we'll play that full conversation. And then David, you and I will come back on the back end and chat about it a little bit. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. So without further ado, the guys from Hustle & Flowchart Podcast, here is Joe and Matt. Matt, Joe. What's up, guys? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Happy to be here. Yeah,
2: There's a little bit coming here, and yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to chat with your audience. Yeah.
0: Do, do you guys know anything about podcasting? Like, is this new for y'all? Or... No. No? Okay.
2: <laughs> Matt, I mean, we've only been in it, what, a couple months, maybe?
3: Just kidding. Yeah. All right. I, well, let's see. We've been in it for about 120 months now. Oh, okay. That slipped a little <laughs> yeah. no, no, we've we've bit. Been, been, we've, we've been at this for a while. <laughs> yeah, we've been podcasting for roughly 10 years now. We started in 2010, so going on 11 years.
0: Have you launched multiple podcasts? I mean, the current podcast is
3: not that old, is it? No, no. Our, our current podcast, Hustle and Flowchart, was actually started in January of 2017. So last month was our four-year anniversary of that show. But we've had multiple other shows throughout the years. Our very first one was called the Online Income Podcast back in 2010, and it made it a full three episodes.
0: <laughs> the Online Income Podcast. You know, it's not that far away from like the Online Core show is just being incredibly generic.
3: Yeah, (laughs) well, it never got any branding or traction due to the fact that we only did three episodes and then sort of split up for a while on the podcast front.
0: But that is a venture way back then that you still it was the two of you. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, Yeah. dude,
2: Dude. it was us. It was us in the wild, wild west of podcasting because that was before there were really these apps and charts that were really making it easier to get discovered back then. So we had no clue what we were doing.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. We started our business together in 2007. So we've been creating content together since 2007. The first three to four years was in the form of all blogging. And then we branched out into podcasting in 2010 after Uh, seeing Pat Flynn do it. We went, Hey, that looks pretty cool.
0: And Mm -hmm. we don't have to write as much. Let's try that out. So there's like a thousand directions I want to go. And um, basically my business started in 2013. So I I remember what it was like back then, but I don't know what it was like back in 2007. And I could only really imagine. But for starters, like you guys have done so many things and you're very experienced online marketers, podcasters, and so on. So the first thing I want to get kind of deep to start with, if that's okay. And Start with like, what are you most proud of? Or what is this life as an online marketer and entrepreneur allowed you to do over all these years? And it could be as simple as, okay, I'm most proud of the Hustle & Flowchart podcast. like That's our baby right now. And that's what I'm most proud of. Or maybe it's something I'm not aware of that this whole thing has allowed you to do. If you don't mind, let's start there. Matt, why don't you take the floor?
3: Oh shoot! I was going to make you start with Joe. <laughs> Good. Yeah, for me, I mean, the thing that I'm the most proud of now, and this is after sort of a lot of time to reflect and sort of systematize our business, is the the fact that we kind of. Can work when we want to and when we feel like it now. And it was a long time getting to that place. I mean, it was only last year in 2020 where we really started feeling comfortable stepping away from the business, knowing that our systems are in place and it's just going to kind of keep going. So I think that the thing that I'm most proud of is actually all of the systems that are running behind the scenes that that people aren't really seeing, right? You've got the podcast and you've got the blog and you've got our our membership and all the front-facing stuff, but there's so many underlying systems that we've built that make it so, Joe and I, if we absolutely had to, we only have to probably work maybe three days a month if we were doing like the bare minimum to make sure that the wheels keep on spinning. And so I would say that's probably the thing I'm the most proud of is just that systematization and the lifestyle freedom that it's created. I think last year in 2020, even though... It, there, well, actually, this is probably more 2019, but I started doing like a ton of camping trips and doing a lot more traveling and stuff like that. And it was the first time in a long time that we
0: really felt comfortable doing that. So you're the systems guy, right, Matt?
1: Between the <laughs> right. 2
0: You're the systems guy. What's one system that you have in place that's allowing you to do things like that?
3: Well, I mean, it's a combination of tools, automations, team members. So we have our podcast, for instance. We've systematized it in a way where we only record podcast episodes between eight and nine episodes over two days. Some months, there's like an overflow day where we need to record a couple more to get caught up again. But we really only work on the podcast between two and three days a month. Joe comes over to my house. We record the episodes and then we put them in a Dropbox. And then that's all we do. We're done at that point. And then from those episodes, what happens is we have a team member go and edit the audio, add our intro, upload them to our hosting, make sure that they get distributed across all the platforms, rip out the videos from Zoom, put them on YouTube as full-length interviews, put them on YouTube as shorter clips. We have somebody on our team who listens back to the episode and takes notes on every episode. Those notes actually become the content that we sell inside of our membership. And so literally three days a month, Joe and I focus on the podcast, put it in Dropbox, and then... Everything else that everybody sees is kind of happening by team members and automated tools and Zapier firing off, things like
0: that. Man, the juices are flowing over here, man. I I love systems. (laughs) I'm a systems guy too. I was an engineer for eight years. So I'm all about this stuff. Do you you guys know Austin Netsley by chance? I know that name. He's a systems guy. I feel like we've been introduced to him. I feel like we might've even chatted with him. (laughs) (laughs) He recently wrote a book uh, called From Six to Seven Figures. And it's all about like the Uh the core concept of the book is the things you did to kind of get you to uh, six figures in your online business are not the same things that you need to do to kind of scale from six to seven. And there's more to it than systems, but that's certainly one of the big components and a fascinating guy and all about systems. It makes me think of that. Yeah. So Joe, I don't want to geek out on systems too much without giving (laughs) you a chance to answer the the same question. So let's see which direction you go with it.
2: Yeah, it's definitely not systems, but it's what Matt said, basically. So because of these systems, it allows us to give the biggest impact we possibly can with the content that we create, the people in our network. So the podcast, I would say, is the thing. That is our baby, like you said, Jock. But also, I've been thinking a lot lately of the impact that we provide and that we cause in the world for others. So the listeners on our show you know, the, the businesses that they run and then their customers. I mean, there's this whole like trickle effect. And I know this totally relates to online courses as well. For us, we realized starting this podcast, we have already an amazing network, but now, like, because of the podcast, it's exponentially grown into interesting veins and, and like just places we never thought it would go, but it gives perspective in a unique way that I know our listeners, because they've told us this all the time. I'm on calls all the time. I hear how it's literally changing their lives. And just because of the podcast, the fact that we've been doing it four years and now almost 400 episodes and bringing in people that they wouldn't expect to hear, like we'll have interesting biohackers or a Silicon Valley investor. But then you know some of these folks are talking about their depression and all these ways that they've unlock their brain to become a better person, but also business owner and actually show up in a bigger way. So it's this impact that I'm starting to finally feel four years into. I'm like, damn, we're, we're doing a big thing for the world. And when we hear the direct feedback, that's what lights me up the most.
0: Really well said. I've, I've been thinking about that word impact a lot lately. And I've told this story many times on the podcast, but Uh, money was my number one motivator when I got into this. Like I I saw potential with an online piano course. I was like, wait, I can wake up and and have made money while I was sleeping. Like sign me up, that sounds amazing. But what's even more amazing that I I didn't know until I got into it is when I get a message from somebody, hey, like I never thought I'd actually be able to learn piano. Mm. Look, here's what I can do now. Here's a video of me playing piano. And that impact is what really drives and motivates me now. So be honest with me. Did, Did you guys like, did you start this thinking all about the money, or were you thinking impact from the start?
2: I would say it was a combo of the podcast, right? I mean, we're going down that vein. I'll tell you the story. The reason we started is because we felt like we, we were having a hard time growing our current offers. So we had a, a newsletter offer, printed newsletter we were charging a hundred bucks a month for and doing all the content writing ourselves. And there's like 30, 40 pages. It was crazy. Every month we would crank that out for 15 months. And we still have a newsletter. It's just modified differently now in the back of the podcast like Matt was saying with, with our note taker but the reason we started the show was a we wanted to start another podcast cuz we we're getting the itch again cuz we're like I think we could dial in our systems this time but b it was affiliate income was starting to overtake our online course income so that gave us the kind of the green light to hey maybe we can kind of push this a little further if we widen the net of the audience that listens to us and you know, and we know podcasting is and was back then you know, a great trust builder, audience builder. So we're like, cool, why don't we widen the net and literally give away our best content? So all that stuff we we're writing in the pages in the newsletter, why not put that out in the world in the form of a podcast, but also leverage this really interesting network we already have from our other ventures and partnerships? So we realized, well, let's just do that, create some good systems. And shut down all the other courses and offers that we actually had live at the time, which we did, because we were confident that we can ramp up the affiliate marketing side of everything. So that's yeah. that's really where it started.
3: Well, it's interesting because just... Let's see, late last week, I listened back to our very first episode of our podcast (laughs) ever. It was the first time I listened to it since we recorded it four years ago. I listened back to it last week and we actually talked about our motivations for starting the podcast in that episode. So like, it's very fresh in my head what our motivations were back then and in that episode what we were talking about was the reason we were starting this podcast was to essentially a get free consulting from people that we really really respect you know bring people on and that's sort of a back door into getting advice from them and to sort of systematically expand our network, just grow our reach, you know, get in front of more people on the audience side, but also just get on the radar of the people that we wanted to be peers of. So that was a big part of why we started the podcast originally as well, was just the the sort of automated networking aspect of it. The funny thing is our first three or four episodes, we didn't even have guests. It wasn't until like A few weeks into the podcast, that we decided, hey, let's actually start interviewing some people as well. Those were the original motivations: was to use it as like a networking tool.
0: Very interesting. And in fairness, you guys had had success in online business for a while when you did launch your your podcast. You had already tasted what what it felt like in the addiction that is like impact and and hearing from people. When I started my business, my piano business in 2013, I had made zero dollars from anything else. Not that I hadn't tried other ventures, but nothing Mm -hmm. was even remotely successful. They were more like that first podcast from you guys where it didn't get past three episodes, (laughs) right? So that's what it was like on my side. So on that note, let's jump back. Let's jump back to 2007. I mean, why did you guys decide to go into business together?
3: Yeah. So I had a family business. My parents had a shutter company, like Window Covering Shutters. And Joe was actually hired on to work there. So Joe and I were sort of acquainted before he worked there. We had some mutual friends. Him and I both played in bands in college. We were both guitar players. We never played in a band together, but we both Mm -hmm. ran in similar circles and played in bands. So we were acquainted with each other. My mom actually hired him to come work at our shutter company. And that's where we really got to know each other and become like pretty good buddies, was working in the shutter company. And some of the the people that worked in the company with us were entrepreneurial as well. Obviously, my parents were entrepreneurial, but there was other people there that also were entrepreneurial. And they were like passing us books saying, hey, you guys should read this. I remember one person in particular, his name was Larry, gave us Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he's like, you guys should read this book. This book will will change the way you think about money. And Joe and I both went and read that book and we're like really excited by it. So we started having conversation about what we read in that book. And then Tim Ferriss put out the four-hour work week. I randomly saw that at Bar and Noble. And it was like, oh, that's interesting. A guy on a hammock. That's the life I want. I'm going to buy this book. Right. And (laughs) so I, I bought like the original book back in 2007, like right when it came out. And I showed that one to Joe after reading it. And he's like, oh, that looks interesting. He went and got it. Now we started bonding over that book during office hours. And I don't remember how we decided, hey, let's start blogging. But at some point while we were at the office, we said, like, let's start blogging about this stuff that we're learning. Let's blog about what we learned from Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Let's blog about what we learned from Tim Ferriss. Let's go and hire outsourced teams to do some of our our day-to-day stuff that we're doing, like in our personal lives and in our business lives and share the results that we got on this blog. And so we actually created a blog that was very influenced by Ramit Sethi's I Will Teach You To Be Rich the blog was called How I Will Be Rich. (laughs) So Joe and I actually started blogging on that site of just about all the stuff that we started learning in the business world. And that was really the genesis of it back in 2007. About six months into that blog, we we realized, oh, this actually might make us some decent money. We sold ads on the site. We were selling links for SEO on the site, which is a no-no now, so nobody go do that. But we were doing it back then when it was a little gray area. We started actually making money from this site went, Hey, maybe we can duplicate this success on another blog. So Joe and I went and created a health blog, which actually still exists to this day. It doesn't get a lot of love anymore, but it still exists. And we started doing the same thing in the world of health and personal fitness and that sort of thing where we were reading books and watching videos and watching movies and then turning around and blogging about what we were learning. And yeah, that was, that was kind of the start all the way back in 2007. Anything I'm missing, Joe? <laughs> I think a big piece that, uh, yeah, something you missed, I feel like was our
2: YouTube videos, because I think that was our very first, that was our, besides content blogging, that was the way that we were expressing ourselves through video and in audio. But what we would do is just talk about something we just learned. Typically, it was around Tony Robbins or Frank Kern. Like those two guys, you had Frank Kern on the digital marketing side and Tony Robbins for this mindset stuff, which we're still obsessed with, like kind of those, both of those facets. But we would just, we'd go in Matt's garage on like a Friday night with a couple beer Coronas and uh, these cutoff shirts. They're horrible. I don't know what our style was back then. And we would just, we, we had no style. We probably still don't. But we just sat in his garage and we flipped on it was the flip cam, if you remember those back in the day. And that was our way of creating content back then. And I think that really helped us at least grow the confidence to be on camera, but also just express what we're thinking. It's super similar to what we're still doing in the podcast.
3: Those videos are kind of cringy to watch now, but uh,
2: (laughs) (laughs) we took them down for a reason
3: (laughs) (laughs) or hid them at least. (laughs) It's like, it was like guys that were three months into their entrepreneurial career, turning around, trying to teach people how to be entrepreneurs. (laughs) But, but we were, we
2: were honest about it. That's the thing. We weren't trying to teach. We were just kind of giving through osmosis what we're learning and giving credit. So I felt like that was, you know, it's very similar to
0: podcasting in
2: that sense and what we're doing now.
0: One day we should compare like first videos and see whose is cringier. Uh, I I still (laughs) think it'd be rad. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, it's
3: pretty subjective. We'll all probably think our own is the cringiest.
0: (laughs) True. (laughs) Mine's still an unlisted video on YouTube just because I want to have that. Like I want to be able to go back to it and reference it when I when I need to. And I do plan to make like a newer YouTube video and be like, look, here's where I started, and here's what it looks like when I make a video now. And you don't have to be perfect. Not that I'm perfect now, but like you don't have all your ducks in a row at first. Like part of the way we learn to be in front of the camera and make videos is by being in front of the camera and making videos. And I think there's no better way to show that than be like, here was me back in 2013.
2: Yeah. It's great. I mean, we talk about it all the time. And even now with the podcast, it took us probably a good two and a half years to feel comfortable with our current show to express like what's actually happening in our business and lives. Like actually it's funny cuz Matt when you we talk about the first episode of our podcast I know those motivations I said were our internal motivations to start but then the external motivations we actually expressed in that first episode cuz you and I talked and now we would actually just be freaking open with everything like we would just put it out there but back then you know we were a little guarded still so you could tell it's evolved over time our current podcast too
3: Yeah. I really think the only difference between when we first started podcasting and well, when we first started making YouTube videos, which was around 2009, when we started doing the YouTube videos, but the difference between 2009 and now is we've just shaved off all the filters there's like no filter anymore (laughs) it's just like whatever we think about just comes out and there's no sort of concern about how it'll be perceived where you know throughout the years that was sort of a learned process in the beginning it's like we are sort of filtering it trying to be who we think other people want to see on the other side of the camera and over the years you just kind of slowly let that go and now we're to the point where we don't really care (laughs) anymore what people think about what we're saying we're just going to be open honest and ask the questions that we're curious about. And hopefully enough people are curious about the same types of things that they'll tune into what we're doing.
0: I think a lot of people start that way, though. You're scared to be too transparent. You think you have to be somebody different once you start putting yourself out there on the mm-hmm. internet and whatnot. Like, wh- Why do you think that's such a struggle for people? Or, or why was it so, such a struggle for you? Why can't we just start being, here's who I am, You know, take it or leave it?
2: I don't think I understood myself. And yeah, because I feel like that has... My my personal journey. I feel like through this podcast, like I've discovered my own curiosities and interests, and in how my brain works, and what my superpowers are. You know, and then I think getting just repetition of just putting the content out and being on the mic. I mean, I, I think it creates new beliefs through all of that with the new discoveries you learn along the way. Because I feel like it's just breadcrumbs. This whole podcast we put out almost four hundred episodes. It's like. I really do want to listen to that first episode and because we create these therapy sessions. And I think this is probably what really helped us out since it's two of us on the mic, plus a guest normally. So it's kind of like this setup here, three of us. But Matt and I, once a month, we'll do these therapy sessions and really go deep on what's working and what's not working in our personal lives and business. And I think when we started doing that, that's when it really opened up the floodgates of this authenticity... The, the connection with people that listen to us. I mean, those are the most in-demand shows, typically, our most requested. People are like, yo, we want to hear more of you. And you know we love your guests and all that. But really, it's you guys are the glue to this thing. So I think doing that practice and putting it out there on a consistent basis helped us a ton.
3: Yeah. I also think there's an element of when you're first kind of getting into Whatever world you're getting into, there's, you know, you, you if you read guys like Tony Robbins, right, a big thing that he teaches is modeling, right. There's a lot of people out there that say find who's successful that you want to be like and model them, model the way they dress, model the way they talk, model the things they do, and there's a lot of that that kind of modeling talk. And you know, fast forward to a few years ago when Russell Brunson grew his brand with ClickFunnels, there was the whole funnel hacking concept. Find what's working and model what people are doing. Obviously, add your own twist to it, but model what other people are doing. So I think there's a lot of people out there that the advice is to be modeling what you're seeing. And when we were sort of coming up in the digital marketing world, the the, the sort of big names that we were paying attention to were guys like Frank Kern and John Reese and Ryan Dice and a bunch of, you know, there was like a handful of guys that were like, these were the A-list players in our industry at the time. So we felt the need to get on video, get on podcast and sound similar because we were trying to model them. But I think we kind of misinterpreted what they meant by modeling them, right? Like model some of the actions. You don't need to model their personality and the way they look and all that kind of stuff. Model the things they do, model the things that made them successful. But I think we took it to a greater extent. And I think a lot of people do that. They take it to that greater extent where they literally model personality traits and
0: speaking patterns and things like that of the people they're trying to be like. It's really well said. I love talking to you guys. You know, as you're talking, I realized that I don't know if you know this, but I actually do have a co-host to my podcast as well. But we mm. do things a little differently in that I still handle the interviews by myself. I can't imagine having four of us here right now. It would make it even more complicated. But what I'll do is I'll do the interview and then I'll send it to him and he'll review the conversation and then we'll jump on just me and him and we'll do a whole intro where we're just shooting the stuff and BSing with each other and, and then leading into the conversation. And, and he'll ask me some like hard hitting questions that I wouldn't have addressed on the podcast by myself. And I didn't get the co-host until about 100 episodes in, so I could tell the difference before and after. But when you have somebody else there, like you almost have to be more of yourself, right? Mm. Because he's addressing Mm -hmm. things that I wouldn't have brought up myself because there's this natural guard up. So do you think that just having each other plays a part into that transparency? Big time. Huge. Yeah, you
2: nailed that. Because I think this is what people tell us from the outside perspective too. Is like, you guys have like this weird, unfair advantage in a way. It's almost like a two-headed dragon is how we've been described. And I think it's not just the fact that there's two of us. It's because we have this like Matt said, since '07. you know, we were working together online. But even before that, a couple of years, we were getting to know each other. We're hanging out. I mean, I know his family, like my family, you know, so we have all this, we're basically brothers from another mother, <laughs> two of the mothers. And I feel like that bond allows us to hold ourselves up to our biggest potential because it's pretty easy for Matt to see What I'm not seeing, if I'm saying something that's complete false or not true, he will call me out in the right way for that scenario, whatever that that is. So yeah, I mean, accountability is huge for two of us.
3: Well, yeah, you know, like it's a lot easier to keep your story straight if you just tell the truth and be honest. Right. So Joe and I, this is a term that Dennis, you coined for us. We call ourselves the two headed dragon now where we have this ability to market, but go market separately, like go on different podcasts and talk to different people and and kind of spread the brand wider as a duet than as a solo act. And the fact that I'm going on podcasts without Joe and Joe's going on podcasts without me, you know, Joe can't be out there telling inauthentic things about our brand and me telling a completely different story on other podcasts. And so in order to not have to get on calls and make sure we always have our story straight, We just tell it like it is and be transparent and share everything because otherwise stuff will start to not line up and then all the authenticity and credibility we've tried to build is out the window. So might as well just always be honest. It's a hell of a lot easier.
0: (laughs) So is is Corona still the beer of choice when you guys get together? Heck
2: no. (laughs) That's been long gone. Sorry, all you Corona lovers out there. We moved on to craft and for me, more whiskey and wine, actually, (laughs) and less beer.
3: There's actually like a beer is a part of our story. Our Mm -hmm. landlord at one point was a brewery. So we worked above a brewery. We actually had a website at one time that we recently exited called homebrew Academy, where we taught people how to brew their own beer. And then we do an event. We do an annual event. 2020 was the first year we didn't get to do it, but we do an annual event called overtime biz and beers, where we bring a whole bunch of people together in a brewery and drink craft beer with them, but then also network. So it's just kind of funny that you brought up beer because there is like beer woven in, Throughout the history of our business, you, you guys brought it up. I didn't bring it up.
2: Corona was
0: Part of the story way back when.
2: <laughs> hey, don't bring don't bring the c word up. It's a, it's yeah, a
0: corona. corona word.
3: No, yeah, I don't want to drink the virus, <laughs> so I stopped drinking Corona. Obviously,
0: <laughs> I know. you know, the, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys had seltzers, trulies and White Claws, and all that. The biggest thing that did for me is made me realize how I actually didn't like beer. Mm. Ah,
2: interesting. Okay,
0: I, I would drink beer. Just it's so easy, right? You go, you know, to the football game, you go to the beach, whatever. Everybody's bringing beer, but but once they invented those things, it's like, wow, these yeah. are delicious. It makes drinking too easy, you know. <laughs> I was like, man, I, all this time, I don't think I actually like beer. I just drink it because everybody else is drinking it.
2: Sure. Yeah, cool. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's interesting for us. Like we've had this, I guess, social. I want to call it pressure, but we've always been around beer. Yeah, from the beginning and the fact that we hold these events, we actually brew the beer too for those events. So like, it's kind of like, it's always going to be in our story, even if we're not drinking it all the time, we have this, Deep love of beer.
3: Funnily <laughs> yeah. enough, we're not
2: actually... leisure drink next, drinkers. I don't
3: know. Yeah, we're actually no, not, we're not very big drinkers anymore. We put on these
0: events and those events that we do annually is probably the one day a year where we drink the most. Well, there you go. We, we don't need to talk about drinking for too much longer, but I'm, I'm a <laughs> seltzer guy, I'm a red wine guy and tequila. And that's about it. Nothing really else beyond that.
2: That's good. I like that lineup.
0: <laughs> there we go. All right. So continuing on the theme of your partnership, right? I've probably seen far more partnerships fail than succeed. So if you're advising somebody who's like, like going to business with a partner, or without like, what's the key to success for you guys with a partnership?
2: I'll kickstart it for us. It's really understanding who we are, and we kind of talk about this a lot. So it's like self-discovery, but also discovery of just each other, and. We've had so many mentors that have kind of mentored us together as well that helped us see this, but we both have our own superpowers. Like we don't conflict on things that I think other partnerships probably would because they're trying to do the same thing or they're collaborating and, you know, conflicting ideas. So I think a good tool that kind of helped us see this is the assessment. What's it called? Yeah. The disc specifically and the Colby. We did the Colby. And the Colby well. Yeah. Those personality assessments. I remember the disc being the first one. And it said very specifically, it's like, okay, these are the things you should say to Matt. These are the things you should not say to Matt. And I was like, oh man, I'm committing a lot of crimes in the not list. I probably should cut those out. And Matt got that same report on me, basically, because we shared our own personalities with each other. What was fascinating is there's like this graph on the back of that report. Ours were literally mirror images to each other and almost perfectly, meaning Essentially, we have the same motivations, but we approach things in a different way. You know, different way of thinking, different skill sets. He's more analytical than I am. I'm a lot more, you know, get it, go connector, bigger vision. Matt will architect things, engineer-like, kind of like you, Jack. So... I mean, really understanding that I think is a good foundation for our partnership.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it's that and then just a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of shared experiences. I think, you know, we've spoke on stage together a lot. We've been in a lot of masterminds together. We run in all the same circles. Our sort of friend groups all sort of hang out together. Our families are friends with each other. There's just this history of like strong bond and strong, you, you know, doing things together that have just constantly improved it. I mean, you watch like TV shows like The Office or or something like that. And they always do those days where they go out and do like team building exercises where they're doing like ropes courses and trust falls and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's legit reasons they go do that stuff because they're building that bond between each other. And Joe and I have literally even done that kind of stuff together. We've literally Mm -hmm. done ropes courses and trust falls and those kinds of exercises in group settings together before. And it's just this combination of all of this cumulative bonding experience, I think, that's really made it work, that there's really nothing that could destroy that at this point that I can imagine, at least. (laughs) Knock like on wood, yeah. yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> we've been called the boy,
2: like boy bands. Uh, we've been called brothers. We've been called like all these different. It's it's just kind Flo of funny bros. Is it. the most bros. Ooh, I, mean, I like, like that
0: one. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's at this point, it's like if we separated <laughs> at least from the business side, something would be wrong in the universe. I think something weird would happen, so we won't do that.
0: So the guy that connected us is Jack Bourne. and he's been on the podcast and Deadline Funnel I used to sponsor this podcast. And when he connected us, one of the things that really jumped out at me was he's like, these guys are really good at two core things, growing an audience and then monetizing an audience. And and I think Joe, you mentioned the word like superpowers a little while ago. Would you guys say that that's like, that is what you're best at? Or do you have other superpowers?
2: I would say it's pretty spot on. He nailed it. And not just in the podcast, but just overall, just with attention on whatever you're putting out there. It could be your course, could be a blog post. I feel like getting... It's almost like three things. Maybe some be adding another one in there. So getting attention. So I guess awareness. The second would be engagement, creating fans with that content and then of course the monetization
0: side of- yeah. so let's take a hypothetical example let's say somebody's listening and, and by the way people listening are aspiring course graders like they have an idea or they have a business already it's like should I create a course around this and then lots of existing course graders already have a course to some level of success but let's say somebody's listening to this and they want to teach like harmonica just random example I don't know why I mm-hmm. thought of it but they don't have any audience they're new to online business like okay if one of your superpowers is Let's start with growing an audience. Like what direction should we even start in? Matt, you want to kick it off this time?
3: Yeah, the way I would start is the way that we literally did start. I would create a blog around it. I would start by just creating written content and sharing your journey. You know, don't go create a blog and start saying, look, I'm an expert on harmonica and here's why you should follow me and learn all of this stuff that I'm doing because obviously you're not yet, but you can go and create a blog that the whole purpose of the blog is to share your journey of learning. I, I don't really, well, you know, I guess your question was, So if they are already a harmonica expert or they want to become a harmonica expert, I guess if they already are a harmonica expert, I would still do the same thing. I would start blogging on it and putting out free content into the world on the topic and build an audience through free content first. And then once you start getting an audience to this thing, you know, obviously be building a list the whole time. And then when you're ready to launch your course, you've cultivated an audience off the back of the free content.
0: But why a blog, why not a YouTube channel? You've already talked about how important the YouTube channel was.
3: I mean, really, I guess it could be any sort of content platform, right? I'm only saying the blog because I'm kind of going back to how we started. And if I was to do things over again, I would probably start the same way. I think that sort of path worked really, really well for us. One beautiful thing about actually having a blog versus a YouTube channel is it's a lot easier on a blog to collect the leads, to collect the email address. So if people are Googling how to play America the Beautiful on harmonica or whatever, right? They find your blog post. And when they land on your blog post, you can say you know, enter your email address and I will send you a video walking through how to play this thing. Right. So I think it's important to have a sort of home base, a hub where you can be collecting the emails from where YouTube kind of deprives you of that ability a little bit if you were to purely be on YouTube.
2: And I'll give a little bit more context there and an example. So first of all, everyone could have a website and document on their own blog that they control. So not a medium blog or whatever else, but actually we choose WordPress, but so you can have all your tracking on there even though that's kind of changing right now but at least the ability to capture an audience and you know it's great to have youtube it's great to have a podcast and all these other platforms but you don't own them and i think that's the biggest thing that a lot of creators course any kind of creator online is not totally thinking about is you can leverage these platforms but you better have a home base that you control and one of the examples we just heard recently from a guy we had on our podcast Podcast named Dan Norris. Uh, he runs Ops Brewing, ironically beer again, uh, out in Australia. And he also he started a company called WP Curve and grew it and exited that. He's done the same thing in the brew world, and all that was on the back of creating content that was fully transparent, talking about his journey, answering questions that people would just have around that topic. So you know, he had a WordPress thing, so he answered every possible. You know, question he gets probably these should ask questions because those are all the ones that you're like, well, they should be asking these things. I'm going to make a blog post. He does the same thing in the brewery field, literally around like how to become a brewer, and like he'll write a blog post on that on his company brewery website. It's not a normal thing that people would create content around as a brewery or even as a course creator or harmonica, you know, course creator. You might. Think about some questions that are just not commonly written about and think about the SEO implications. Like for us, because we have been consistent for so long, SEO is the number one driver of new traffic for our, our company, our business. So that's going to help fill all of our buckets, the YouTube bucket, podcast, email, everything else we're doing too.
0: You guys make it sound kind of easy to grow an audience. Do you think it's easy? You think Why do you think people struggle with that? More people struggle than that and they should.
2: I wouldn't call it easy. I would call it more simple. And big difference it is because it's a, I really wanted to swear there. It's a lot of work (laughs) because under this hat, I'm gray for a reason at 35. So no, that's not true. Totally. It's, I feel like if you have a simple plan where you understand kind of like what we're talking about, like, okay, you have your layers of awareness, engagement, and monetization get really good at one of them. But really like we were talking about the blog, that's the layer that supports all of those. And from there, you're just stacking what makes most sense at that time. I would not say start everything all, but you know, if you're killer on video with harmonica, start a YouTube channel. Great idea. Just be consistent. You better have a system behind it, just like podcasting and email, all that stuff. So, those are the faults that we had when just jumping into something without a system and goal. Definitely have that lined up before making yeah. the first
3: step. I would say content marketing is a game of patience and most people out there don't have the patience to actually see it through to where it actually becomes fruitful, right? Mm -hmm. Like when it comes to blogging, like Joe said, I, I think the concepts of it are simple. I think it's not easy to do it consistently and continue to do it for a long enough time to where you see the results. But it's simple in the fact that if I was to create a blog around harmonica stuff, I would just find as many questions that people are asking about harmonica, learning the harmonica, harmonica songs, anything I could find around harmonica. I would just round up a hundred questions I could find. And each one of those questions becomes a blog post. And over time, there's a very, very good chance that you'll become the go-to place that people find their harmonica questions answered through Google. It just takes that sort of time,
0: consistency, and patience. And I just don't think most people have the patience to wait it out. Yeah, but that's typically what it takes to be successful. I mean, I've interviewed over 100 course creators now on this podcast, and that's the typical successful course creator stories. Like, okay, I created the audience first, like really try to figure out how I could best help them and then figure out the best time to craft that offer and then launch it to them. I get people that listen. To the podcast and for some reason they're not listening to what we're saying here and they go create the course first and then they start running ads to it i'm like why do you think it's not working you you didn't do anything I, i told you to do that's not the best way to do it so we talked about growing the audience and then the other piece of that was monetizing the audience. So in this kind of world that we're in, like this online world, obviously, a course is a way to monetize the audience. What, what are the ways you could monetize the audience other than a course?
2: Yeah, there's a... When we show this slide on and when we do our talks, everybody's minds are like, what? So the way that we see it is affiliate marketing is kind of our first gift you know, for us. And that shouldn't be the case for everyone, but it can be. Because it's a great bolt-on revenue stream for someone who has a course, let's say. And you know, a lot of folks are hesitant or they have hesitancy around affiliate marketing because their audience is going to go somewhere else. Well, I wouldn't have that fear. It's typically the connector is the one that's remembered. So in this case, you're the connector. And you just happen to you know make some revenue off that that's selling a solution that solves a problem. So, affiliate marketing is great. Sponsorships, we've done that before, but there is opportunity for that for course creators. Or if you have a community, you can sponsor or or do a trade, maybe to get access to a product or something. And that's kind of how we're always thinking. I guess affiliate marketing, there's other things like rev share opportunities. There's equity that you might be able to get in a company that's related to your audience because that's the power of having an audience. You kind of have a lot of leverage around a lot of partnerships and companies out there. It's just kind of up to you to think about. What do they want? What do I have, and how do I make a deal out of this thing? Matt, there's probably a bunch of other monitors. Obviously, there's books, there's memberships. I know we have a membership continuity rather than just straight up course. So we kind of take that angle a little bit more, where it's a little bit more hands-on with us, opens up the gets our time in front of folks a little bit more. So in communities engagement, that's what we like to charge for is more of that you know, when it comes to actually an offer itself. I
3: think anything I can add would be essentially just derivative of what you've already said. But yeah, I mean, you've got coaching courses, memberships. We have a print physical newsletter that we send out to people. We do a lot of affiliate marketing, equity, rev share deals. One thing you didn't say that's actually been pretty big for us as podcasters specifically, I don't know how effective this is in the blogging world, is we do a lot of barter stuff now too, where we, like most of our equipment, like these chairs we're sitting in, like this microphone that I'm using, like... I didn't buy any of this stuff. Like this all came from like barter deals and allowing other people to sort of leverage our platform. And we didn't necessarily go out and say, Hey, if you come on our podcast, you know, like we'll bring you on the podcast. If you send us one of these chairs, they never actually go down like that. Usually we bring people on the podcast, build a rapport with them. And then as like a thank you, they'll send us stuff. But that's actually been another thing that, you know, it's not necessarily like strict monetization. Like I'm getting this cash for doing this service, but it has some real value in the sense that a lot of things that we would need to
0: buy anyway, we don't have to buy. Yeah, that makes sense. So you you brought up your membership and that's one of the ways that you guys have decided to, to monetize your audience that you've built with this podcast. Tell us about that membership. Like how does it work and what are the benefits on the inside? You want me to take that one? Okay.
3: Yeah, so our membership right now is $15 a month or it's $59 a year. And what you get when you sign up for the membership is a printed newsletter that we mail every month And that newsletter is essentially a compilation of all of our notes from the episode for the last month. So the February issue that just went to the printer yesterday, that is all of our notes from all of the episodes that came out in January. So... Every single podcast that we do, we have a note taker on our team who listens to the episode and makes Cliff's notes of it. You know, a lot of people think, oh, you're sending people the transcripts of the episodes. No, we actually hired somebody to basically make a cliff notes of the episode. So you ideally could read the notes for that episode and get all of the takeaways as if you had listened to the episode. Right. So that's what we're selling in that monthly membership for the most part is that monthly newsletter with all of the notes from the prior month's episodes. We're selling those time savings. And then we also ask our guests if they want, it's optional. We ask our guests if they wanna contribute some bonus training that we can share inside the members area. So I would say roughly 25% of our guests will go and create additional content that's available just for members only. And obviously the benefit for the people creating that content is we will link back to their offer or whatever below the video. So we are still driving customers over to them. But in a nutshell, that's essentially what they're getting inside of the membership is that that sort of time savings of getting the notes. So if you don't have time to listen to you know, two and a half plus hours of content every week from us. Well, you can get a, a book in the mail that essentially is a 30 to 45 minute read that gets you eight or nine episodes worth of content all in one little packet.
0: And you said it was $15 and then there was another tier?
3: Yeah. So there's a $15 a month tier and the $15 a month is a printed physical newsletter that you get in the mail. The $59 a year, that's
0: the annual membership oh, okay. is for digital owned. Got it. So it's, I, I got it. Okay. So, I mean, we're talking about a pretty low-cost membership here. What's the ballpark of active members at this point?
3: Right now, it's roughly around 1,000 members. But here's here's the other thing about this newsletter is that we have another opportunity for sponsors to sponsor something else from us as well. So we have our sponsors who we we bring on the show, which we actually phased out. January of this year was the first time in a long time we don't have a sponsor sponsoring the front end of our show. We do have some sponsors on the back end still, like at the end of the episode. But we don't have any more sponsors at the beginning of the episode. But we still allow sponsors to sponsor the print newsletter. So we're mailing to a thousand people a month. And inside that newsletter, Joe's holding it up on video there. Inside that newsletter, you can see that little blue piece of paper there is sponsorships. People are actually sponsoring the print newsletter as well. So that's another monetization avenue of the newsletters. We can get sponsors there. And then like Joe mentioned earlier on in this episode is a big, big portion of our revenue, something like I think now we're at it used to be about 80% of our revenue now I think it's down to about 70% of our revenue comes from affiliate marketing. Well, the affiliate marketing offers that we're offering for the most part we're fishing in our customer pond. We're not fishing in our broad lead pond, right? We have our sort of broad leads that are listeners of the show that opted in for some free notes or you know a, a free ebook or something like that. And then we have our customers. The customers are the people that were saying, "Hey, this is the tool we use for this. This is the tool we use for this." And we generate affiliate revenue off of the customer pool. So it's a, you know, it's a very low ticket product, but it is a pool of buyers that we're fishing in for higher ticket offers through affiliate promotions and things like that.
0: Sounds like an amazing way to run a membership, but here's the part I don't understand. And and I'm sure there's an answer, but but I just want to hear it. You guys have told me what you're best at is growing an audience and how to market and how to sell to an audience, monetizing an audience. So do you guys not have a course on that exact topic? or or is that that content somewhere else it has been
2: fragmented for a reason because we were on our high horse for a little bit thinking we're not gonna ever do another course like because we told ourselves when we started the podcast that was kind of a motivation of ours which is kind of true but kind of not so we we are going to release something in about a month's time or so from this recording called Pod Hacker that will do exactly what we you know people know us for more so in the podcasting space and creator space if they want to learn how to get that engagement or sorry awareness engagement and monetizing
3: yeah Pod Hacker comes out I, the plan is the end of February there might be some things that push it out a little bit but the plan is at the end of February, February to launch this pod hacker course, which will be uh, a, a peek behind the curtains of our entire business model, how we turn a podcast into a newsletter, into affiliate revenue, grow it, how we get a you know, big name guests on the show. It's going to be pretty much just, you know, opening the kimono, pulling back the curtain, whatever analogy you want to use of
0: our entire business model. Yo, I'm, I'm trying not to be offended here, man, because I mean, this is the online course show, right? And you're like, Oh, we, <laughs> I know, we I know. swore <laughs> off courses, like, like you haven't explained what, and you're about to launch course. So obviously you don't truly feel that way anymore. But what is it about your past experience with courses that led you to feel that way when you guys went to launch this podcast?
3: Yeah. So there's a few things, right? So one of the things that for us was we got... This might be a blessing or a curse, but we got really successful with affiliate marketing really early on. We made really, really, really good revenue from affiliate promotions. And when we put out our own courses the the sort of workload and frustration load of putting out a course the, the amount of friction let's just call it from putting out a course was higher than affiliate marketing for us when we put out a course we have you know we're dealing with a lot more of the support we're dealing with a lot more of the, the tech side on processing transactions you know th- there's a lot more things in motion where when we were promoting affiliate products we got to focus on building an audience and putting offers in front of them. And that was the focus. We didn't have to deal with all this stuff after they become a customer. We still do. We still support the people who buy through our affiliate links and we provide bonuses and we've even you know, helped people install the software they bought through our affiliate links and things like that. But for the most part, the amount of effort it took to promote affiliate offers was a lot lower than the amount of effort to actually launch and maintain a course. A second thing around courses is we've always pushed out like, technical courses. Like some of my courses in the past was a course on creating Facebook ads. My previous business that I had with a a different partner ran sort of parallel to Evergreen Profits. I had a business called Learn to Blog, which taught a lot of WordPress and WordPress plugins and all sorts of technical kind of things. So having courses on these technical topics, we all know how things like WordPress and Facebook ads and all that stuff works. You make some videos on it. And two months later, platform looks completely different the buttons are in a different place i got to go remake a lot of this content so those are kind of the two biggest reasons we sort of swore off courses for a while this piano hasn't changed in
0: several hundred years i'm blessed with that exactly you
3: (laughs) (laughs) so we swore off courses for those reasons right like affiliate stuff was easier and i didn't have to constantly go and make the updates However, this time around, you know, first of all, we've had a handful of people sort of verbally smack us around and go, (laughs) come on, you guys are dumb for not making this. People are asking for it. People are saying, where can I give you money to get this information? Go make it. So we kind of got that verbal slapping from some of our friends and masterminds and that sort of thing. But also, we're going to approach it in a different way. We're going to approach it in a way that's timeless, right? We're not going to put a ton of focus on the actual technical step-by-step, here's how you do it. We're going to put a lot more emphasis on the overarching concepts that ideally will never really change. And, and to
2: explain it a little further, the thinking behind this, because I, I figured you would bring this up, Jack, which I love. Because not,
0: till, not till like an hour in though. Let's be fair.
2: <laughs> I know. I know. It took a while. Oh, this is the good stuff now. But it's it's an extension of what we're already doing. We just realized, oh, we can actually take this a step further because if you think about it, all of our effort really starts on our podcast. And again, like Matt said, we could really just work like three days a month if we really wanted to to just keep the machine going. But the end of the day, like now, you know, we have people that basically help us create this first level membership, the $15 a month. Now the second layer, which actually will stand apart, is going to be about a hundred bucks a month or a thousand a year. But that, again, is leveraging a lot of folks that we bring on our podcast or in our network. So really, all we're doing, there's going to be a base level training that gets people up to snuff on all the frameworks and stuff we do. But then on a monthly basis, we'll bring on these experts and we're going for top level people. I mean, like paying their speaker fee if needed for like a two hour chunk. That's going to be taught by them, directed by us a little bit with Q&A, almost like another podcast, but with Q&A also in there. So there's interactiveness to it. So we see it as like this direction where you have the free stuff coming out of this podcast, but then you have a whole paid element. And that's what allows us to feel warm and fuzzy about the idea of doing this again.
3: Yeah. Well, Joe, just just to add to that, uh, Joe brought up another really good point there is in the past when we've built courses like this as well, we did everything ourselves. We wrote the copy. We built the landing pages on ClickFunnels or whatever. Mm-hmm. We did all the integrations. We built out the autoresponder. We wrote all the emails. We got the affiliates on board. Like Literally, we basically made a list of the hundred things we need to do to launch this course and then split them 50, 50 and put them on our own shoulders. This time around, when we launch a course, we have challenged ourselves to literally only be the content of the course. So we have other copywriters. We have other landing page builders. We have a team writing emails. We have a customer support team. Everything else is off our plates. We are mapping out the curriculum, creating the curriculum, and we are getting affiliates to help promote it. And those are the only tasks that we're putting on our plate for this promotion. And I think that has taken a lot of weight off of our minds as well, knowing that we're not the guys building
0: everything anymore. I'm glad you guys explained that so thoroughly because I mean, I fully understand now. And I'm a big fan of having both affiliate revenue and course sales revenue or membership sales revenue. I think there's certainly pros and cons to each. I started with courses. And then somewhere along the way, I started adding affiliate stuff to it, especially once I started this podcast and you talk more about the business side of things. And once I started making affiliate income, I was like, holy smokes, Like the sale happens. And then I literally have to do nothing. Like That <laughs> company has to handle everything. So obviously, I only get a percentage of the sale, but there's huge advantages that come with that. But, but on the other side, I've got a really good friend who has a very big podcast. And when the pandemic hit, He just happened to be kind of in a market where his particular affiliates kind of dried up with the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so he was making like six figures a month from his affiliates and overnight that kind of dried up and he didn't have like any other revenue streams. So all of a sudden, like he was scrambling, pivoting, creating his first course, which has been wildly successful. But imagine if he would have like Had both models going into the pandemic. So, to me, there's very clear pros and cons to each one. It sounds like you guys are back on the course bandwagon (laughs) and would agree with that, that it's nice to kind of have both.
2: Definitely. Yeah. And we never, you know, lost that whole thought of it either, you know. And that's why we really love our membership, the EGP membership, which is the $15 level, because it allows us to do that at even a bigger level. It's like we can now put people into this pool, this fan pool, and they're into these concepts. And we know that they've given us a lot of data so they kind of tell us what affiliate products they want makes it really easy on us because you know we can create a journey. we like to see everything we do as a journey. so this might actually help a little bit more connect all the dots for people is you know, you have the podcast that's kind of discovery and relationship builder. And then you have a path from there is, is just the action to our Facebook groups to get free notes and access to our community. And then that takes them on this journey in email, which is very segmented. And it's like literally, if they click one thing, it'll trigger a whole sequence to start, which this is what's not so easy. Uh, you know, like the concept's simple, but it's a lot of stuff to do this. But now the layers of membership that just allows us to extend that journey further and then of course the affiliate offers that we put out there us it's mainly software marketing software we know what our people want so we stay there and we can basically present these offers at the right time when those needs are most kind of you know when they're raising their hand the most for us that's when we present those things
0: yeah. And, you know, the, the other advantage to both a membership and a course is that it's fully yours, right? To your point earlier, Matt, where you're talking about, okay, maybe blog is better than a YouTube because one advantage there is like, that's kind of more ours, whereas YouTube is on Google's platform. So that's the other big advantage to say a course or a membership. So sounds like you've got the diversified portfolio of revenue streams covered. Well, w- next month, once you actually launch the, the new course. That's right, and then there's a the whole
2: factor of just affiliates to promote your courses too. Yeah. That's that's a whole revenue stream that we haven't tapped into, even though we have people asking us to promote their yeah you know, or them to promote us. So that's a good incentive to create a course for anybody too. You know,
0: the whole other half of affiliate marketing for sure. Pretty much, yeah. All right, guys, this next question. Here's what I'm going to do. It's just give me one word, and you'll just, just roll with it. You ready? Let's, Matt. You you go first. I'm going to call on you first. It's just going to be a one word question. All right, <laughs> I'm, I'm debating in my head if I should use inflection at the end or what. But here we go, clubhouse. Yes, you like it.
3: I do. I thought you just wanted a one-word answer. Is no? Want, do you I
0: said that? one-word question. I wanted to see how far you go. Oh.
3: Shoot. Okay. I just, I I must've blanked. Yes. So Clubhouse, I really like Clubhouse, but I do think that Clubhouse can become a problem very quickly. So you got to create boundaries on Clubhouse. But Joe and I have had some amazing experiences on Clubhouse. In fact, the very first time Joe and I ever went live together on Clubhouse, it was me and Joe and our buddy, Brad Costanzo. We all created a live session on how to connect with influential people And it was just the three of us chatting about some of the ways that we've managed to connect with influencers in our industry. And Tyrese Gibson, you know, from Fast and the Furious, and he's a rapper, he popped in and was listening in on this session. And so we actually pulled him up on stage and asked him, Hey, you are an influential person. How have others approached you? And he kind of talked about some stories about how others have approached him, but then he actually started telling stories about how he got connected with guys like Jeff Bezos and how he was sort of intimidated by that connection and how he mustered up the courage to go talk to him. And just, and and he talked for like 40 minutes and just gave all these cool stories about like connecting with, with people that he saw as influential. And that was literally the first day I was ever on Clubhouse. And I went, I'm sold. And then I I went down this rabbit hole of like 10 days. I just had one headphone in my ear, like all day long for like 10 days straight listening to some room on Clubhouse. And eventually I realized, okay, I'm on here a little bit too much. Now I only jump on Clubhouse if we have scheduled rooms. Like somebody says, all right, we're doing a Clubhouse at Tuesday at one o'clock. That's all I do now because I saw how quickly it could consume my day. But overall, Clubhouse is a big win in my opinion. And Just some of the results we've seen from being on Clubhouse, our Instagram followings have doubled and we saw a spike of roughly 400 new downloads per day on our podcast within like the first week of being on Clubhouse and just joining podcasting related rooms and talking about what we're doing to grow our podcast. It's been huge for both growth and like a brand
0: perspective for us. Yeah. Well, you guys mentioned like the therapy sessions earlier where it's the episodes where you don't have an actual guest and it's just the two of you. And and I think the most recent one you had was almost all about Clubhouse. And and I certainly listened to that and you guys have a lot of thoughts on it. And so you didn't take it, Matt. I was like, I figured you'd just roll once I said that word. So let's, let's try it. Joe, let's try it. Joe, see if you can do better. Clubhouse?
2: Oh my God. It's the best thing since sliced bread. <laughs> I would say everyone should be on there. But as to Matt's point, curb your, your iPhone, <laughs> if you have an iPhone. Yeah, for now. If not, you could be like what we've suggested to some others and just buy a used iPad or used iPhone and get on there that way. It might be worth it to you. All
0: right. Hold on. Uh, hold on. Android guy over here. Android. Well, phone. you're
2: out of luck, my man. No, no,
0: no. <laughs> no. Here's what I did. Once like the 10th person in my audience was like, Jock, how are you not on this? Like you could be talking about all my courses and all this and that. I was like, all right, all right. enough people have been bothering me. That day, I think it was two Fridays ago, I drove to the Apple store and bought this fancy red iPod Touch. Oh, there and you go. So there's. I've been on Clubhouse for about a week and a half now because of this, this little iPod Touch. So I understand the pain of the iPhone thing, but I got through it that way.
2: Nice. How much are those things? I don't even know anything about those.
0: Yeah. So I was like, I got to get some sort of Apple device. So I looked on like Facebook Marketplace, get an old iPhone, iPad or something. And I was just like, you just get an iPod Touch. It was $200 brand new. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, not too bad.
2: Okay. Had no clue. That's what I'll suggest from now on. I mean, just the reason why I think people are... It's, it's the connecting thing that Matt... What Matt said. It, it's the ability to connect with highly connected people is really at the end of the day because it's still invite only. So because it's invite only, or if you get accepted by someone else, if you go on the waiting list, it's because you're connected. And so if you can hack your way in there, get in there because it's worth it. Cause the earlier you get in there, it's going to be easier to get a following. And I've been chatting with, you know, in our masterminds, like Matt said, there's a lot of folks using it in different ways. So if you're a consultant, a coach, I mean, we're seeing people just swipe clients up just right there in these rooms and getting on stage is definitely the big thing you want to shoot for. Even in these small rooms, if it's just 20, 30 people in a room, just assume it's like you hanging out in a room of 20, 30 people And you can be the expert of that room. And if it's relevant to whatever your expertise is, you know they're going to reach out to you if your profile gives them a nice, easy way to uh, contact you, which is really through Instagram. But if you give them a reason to contact you, that's why filling out the profile is key. And there's a lot of people telling you how to do that. But the the point is do it. The other thing that uh, Matt didn't mention that I... I haven't really heard anybody else mention is that you could do crazy market research like instantly. There's different verticals like galore. I mean, there's every vertical you can think of in that thing. And you could pop into a room. And if you're just curious about, you know, pains, frustrations around a certain niche, or maybe it's your industry and you just want to hear some feedback or whatever, I mean, use it as market research. You don't even have to be a speaker. You could just listen and probably get the most valuable, timely info if you're looking to write some copy, maybe email email, find a new angle out there that no one's really using. That's another good use. There's probably a million other ways, but I would say just got to use it. And and block your time. Don't let the hours get away from you because you might run into a divorce later on. I know, just don't do that. I'm knocking on wood. But I've heard people get yelled at by their wives or husbands in the background. So it's like, don't be that person.
0: I've seen both of you post long kind of diatribes on Facebook, just like pros and cons of Clubhouse. And then I heard that episode and you both have quite a significant following there on Clubhouse. So I was just curious, you know, your takeaway. and, And I'm a big fan of not letting social media be like an addiction. I don't have any of the apps on my phone. In fact, I even block some of their actual websites on my phone using another app because I'll find I'm just like mindlessly going to facebook.com on my phone, even though I don't actually have it. (laughs) If I go there at my computer, I've got like the newsfeed eradicator. So I literally can't see a newsfeed anywhere. And that's the way I like it. But while Clubhouse has been really cool, like how do you make it not be just this massive, massive time suck? <laughs> yeah, turn it's off a, the
3: notifications. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think that's
0: the first step. Yes. Yeah, because
3: it will blast you. The first day I was on there, I'm pretty sure I got like 30 notifications from people pinging me to be in rooms with. So that's that's number one. But I think the sort of constraint that I've put on myself with Clubhouse, and I think Joe is very similar, is that for the most part we're only doing scheduled Clubhouses now. Like once a week or so, we'll find somebody to jump on and create a Clubhouse room with, and just purely do it in the times that we sort of blocked off for it. That's how we've been approaching it lately. And I would also,
2: yeah, I would just add that. I mean, it's like any new thing. You're going to want to use it a lot. It's like a new video game. I'm just thinking as like a kid, like, of course you wanted to crack that box open and then like start playing it for hours on end. It's kind of like this. I feel like for a lot of folks, It's a new shiny thing, so it will wear off like the FOMO because I think the first couple of weeks for Matt and I, and we've heard this for everyone else, the FOMO hits hard. So just beware. And uh, because you're like, oh, none of this stuff's recorded. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God. All
0: these Tyrese is hanging out with us now. Elon Uh, Musk is in the (laughs) room right now talking,
2: which Elon was doing. Yeah, that's right. I
0: I literally want to be in there all day. Yeah,
2: that's the thing. It's hard, man. But like, you got to put bumpers. And I think if you do it for like a week or two, and you're in there all the time, and then you start realizing, oh, man, I got to respond to these emails or
3: my my to do list just got way bigger. Maybe that's yeah. a good indication. It's like, all right, check yourself a little bit. There. Well, here's what I realized is like the good ideas and the good conversations, they don't stop. There's always going to be one going on. And it was like like the old uh, Richard Branson quote where he said, uh, opportunities are like buses. There's another one coming in 15 minutes. It's mm-hmm. kind of the same idea for me is in the beginning, I was like, oh man, all these people are in this room speaking. Oh, Damon John's in here talking to Grant Cardone and Ty Lopez. That's got to be interesting. That's three sort of polarizing figures all having a conversation. I got to listen in. On this. But then what I realized is that same conversation was still happening three days later, right? It's like there, there's always those conversations going on. So if you're missing a gold nugget now, there's going to be a gold nugget if you pop on three days from now. You know, if, if a gold nugget falls in the wilderness, you're not there to hear it. Did it actually drop? You know, <laughs> that's a new one, Matt. I, yeah, that was a, that was a really bad sort of mixed <laughs> analogy there. But uh, I love it you use Don't it worry often. about what
0: you're not hearing because there's going to be good stuff on there next time you're on. <laughs> that, that's going to be like my new official slogan about Clubhouse. It's like, okay, if you're really getting sucked into it, just remember, if there's a golden nugget that happens in Clubhouse, but you didn't hear it, did it really happen? Did it really? Yeah, exist? Exactly. I love that. <laughs>
2: It's right, a perfect let's, line.
0: <laughs> let's shift out of Clubhouse and just a couple more bigger questions for you guys before we get out of here. Let's talk a little bit about like software and tools as a, you know, running a very successful membership, about to launch a course, online marketers, online business owners. Give me like two or three of your favorite just like tools overall. And I'd love to just hear each of your answers. So, Joe, why don't we start with you this time? What, what are your top like two or three software tool type things?
2: I love Loom. L-O-O-M. So that's, I know more people are hearing it. I've been using it for a few years now and I love it because the personalization of communication. I'll send a random loom to, well, always a loom after a podcast guest that we have on our show. So that helps us really establish a deeper bond. Usually it's me with my iPhone and like my backyard, just hanging out, thanking them. I think just that raw shaky phone feel really helps. It's not like, Oh, I'm going to do a screen capture video and but uh, that helps sell affiliate stuff. You know, we use it as a sales tool, connecting tool, and works really well. Spark Toro has been another tool lately that's uh, created by a guy, Rand Fishkin, who used to head up Moz, a uh, big SEO company, and he was on our show recently. That's a cool tool because you could do some immediate research by plugging in your URL, your website, or social media handles, and you can kind of see what other people are connected to you, or at least what your audience is interested in. And it aggregates all this data in a super fast way. So if you're trying to get on podcasts or get affiliates or run traffic, whatever it might be, it's going to give you a lot of data and you can get like 10 uses for free. So you can just test it out. I'd say those are top two recently that I'm uh, playing with.
0: So Loom, I mean, I certainly use Loom pretty much on a daily basis. I'd use it for a lot of just like team communication, like explaining instructions and so mm-hmm. on. I haven't used it as much for just like super casual video. I'm assuming you're saying there's a phone app, which I don't, I don't even have the phone app. I do yeah. the, the raw video. Have you guys heard of uh, Bonjuro? Yeah. Uh-huh. That's what I use to like, I think all my new piano students all get on and just be like, hey, welcome to Piano in 21 Days. Let me know if you need anything. But I didn't realize I could be doing that with Loom if I wanted to.
2: Yeah, Bonjour does some different stuff, so the workflow might be different. So check that first. But yeah, for Loom, I just like it. Be that's usually how I'll use it is just with the phone app, just for the whole reason that it feels just raw, which it is, because <laughs> usually I don't have much planned. And yeah. but you know, keep it short, under two minutes. I like to shoot under a minute, ideally. But yeah, I mean, we use it for instructional type stuff for our team. But I think the sweet spot is connecting and then actually using it as a potential sales tool as well. Cool.
0: All right, Mr. Systems Guy, I'm ready. What What are your answers? Oh, I mean, I can probably go on
3: for another hour and just talk about different tools, but I'll tell you sort of the tech stack that we use for like our membership right now. So we use, right now I really like drop funnels for the page builder. We've been experimenting with that. It's basically, they host WordPress for you, but they don't let you install any plugins or any themes or anything like that. It's like a locked down version of WordPress. And then they installed their page builder on it. And then there's only a certain amount of plugins that you can use that are like approved plugins that won't affect performance. And then it's got a whole page builder in it, like, you know, a ClickFunnels style kind of page builder built inside of it. Really, really, really cool. It's probably the most customizable builder that we've played with. I really like the, the sort of functions that you can do inside of the builder. It gets... It pretty pixel perfect to what I'm trying to do. So we use that for our actual landing pages. It actually has its own built-in cart as well, but we like to use Thrivecart. There's a lot more customization that you can do with Thrivecart with the coupon codes and managing your affiliate program and JV contracts and all sorts of cool stuff. So we actually use Thrivecart for our cart platform. And then mutual friend, Chris Benetti, Members Pro is where we're hosting our new upcoming membership site. So, that's really the sort of core tools. We use Active Campaign for our emailing to do all the tagging and sort of sub sequence automations where if somebody reads an email and they click a link, well, because they clicked on this link, they're going to see this email next. And if they open the email but didn't click on this link, they're going to see this email next. You know, so that this sort of like branching off, choose your own adventure emailing that we do is all built inside of Active Campaign. I think that's really kind of like our core tech stack right there.
0: The only one of those that I. Uh, Actively using is Active Campaign. That's probably my favorite tool. Like, it's insane how good it is. And I'm glad you use that, Matt. Like, we, I feel like we speak the same language. Joe, no offense. I mean, ah. We speak a little bit of the same language. But yeah, I, it's just when people are asking me, like, hey, well, you know, think about starting a course, like, which email should I go MailChimp or like ConvertKit? I'm like, don't even think about it. Active Campaign, yeah. it's insane how good it is. But there the other- is one
2: I'll add to Matt, yeah. actually, which piggybacks on Active Campaign is ConvertBox. I think you mentioned that. So that's the lead capture tool that we use on our blog and all these landing pages that allows us to do all crazy sorts of slide-ins and based off of logic, time on site, uh, convert boxes. Like it just has all these, if this, then that type of statements you can create lead magnets around to customize the experience really well.
3: Yeah, so for example, we can have a piece of content on our website. And if somebody comes to our website from like a Google SEO search, we can have the call to action that slides up on the blog be one thing. If they come because we emailed to our list to that blog post, the call to action could be something else. Uh, if that person is already a customer of a product, we can change the call to action because of that. So we do things where like one blog post might have three calls to action. Somebody's a first time visitor. Hey, welcome to the site. Opt in to get this you know content upgrade for the blog post you just read. If they're on our email list and they visit the blog post and they're not a customer, here's an offer you know to be a customer of our membership. If they already are a customer, hey, here's an affiliate product that's relevant to the blog post you just read. So we will actually dynamically change the little lead magnet slide in based on the source of where they came from. So we're always putting relevant offers in front of people and we're not trying to sell things to people that they've already bought.
0: That's the one that you guys have mentioned that I'm not actually familiar with yet. And that sounds amazing. I'm I'm Mm -hmm. definitely have to check that out. As far as the other kind of tech stack to go along with your membership and then to the upcoming course, I love Members Pro. I don't actually use it. I love Chris and Sinead, the guys that created it. And so my piano course, we're literally moving it off of ClickFunnels right now. And the solution that we're moving it onto is a WordPress solution. It's Learn Dash and Buddy Boss. I don't know mm-hmm, if you guys mm-hmm. are familiar with you're probably familiar with Learn Dash and don't know about Buddy Boss. I wanted to really like Members Pro. They just don't quite have all the features that I'm looking for for my piano students. But I, I am still in ClickFunnels. That's where the course is now. And then I'm planning to leave all my landing pages and funnels and everything in there for the time being. I'm starting to play around with cart flows because now I'm getting more into the WordPress world. It sounds like you'd recommend Drop Funnels as something to potentially check out.
3: Yeah, I would check that out as a page builder. They've got like, a, I think like a two week trial too. So you can get in there and see if it's for you and no commitment if it doesn't work out. But it, if you've ever used Thrive Architect in WordPress, it's a very yeah. similar feeling to that. Very
0: cool. All right. This is uh, the last question for you guys, because we're about out of time here, but I really wanted to make sure I asked this before we got out of here. You've, you've had some pretty big time guests on your show. Not that you guys aren't <laughs> are big time. Like I'm honored. Like I feel like... <laughs> Big time guests here on the online course show, but it, I mean, Dave Asprey, Russell Brunson, David Allen, JJ Virgin—like, really, really big time people. Like, how would you get those people on your show?
2: Yeah, that's uh, it's. It always wows us because we've. <laughs> that was kind of like what Matt said. One of our motivations was to get consulting from people that we would not normally be able to get consulting from, <laughs> which we've achieved that yeah. many times over. Right. That's not the big motivation anymore, but it's a side effect, of course. It it started with. Both of our networks, of course. So, you know, some of those names, well, not those names you mentioned, but leading up to it, you know, we had friends that were able to connect us with those folks. So I think it all comes down to us connecting with the people on before, during, and after the show, the guests we bring on, and really showing that we're that we want to give them a lot of value for the time they spent with us you know, we're going to tell them all the different ways that this show is going to be produced and distributed and make them look like the cool guy or gal, which hopefully is the case. And then the the loom video helps. I mean, all this is to kind of, I mean, not in a de- devious way or anything, but like kind of grease the wheels a little bit for them to maybe, maybe there's something in the future we can collaborate on and like, Hey, you know, someone that that might be a really good fit for the show. And then what we do is we also... Which that will typically give us referrals just right there because it's kind of warm on their mind. But we also have a, a procedure or this process, which we've uh, taken from Chet Holmes as uh, the Dream 100 process, which you know has been talked about already and a ton of ways more in the sales. But we use it as a way to get connected to people that are the just the the moonshots that, that we have. So we have Elon Musk on there, Bill Gates, like those types of folks. And that probably makes up like, you know, a good 20% of that list are these like, you know, moonshot people, if it happens, great. Most of that list, so this is a list of 100 people I'm talking about now, is 80%, 70% are people that are maybe one or two touches away from our current network. So we know they're fairly doable to get within the, you know, we're not going to press on any one person, but what we do is we put that list in Google Sheets, which is key to this whole thing. And you know, we, we use G Suite for sending all of our emails. So it's Google property. So what if you if you, if you you take the link to that spreadsheet and then plug it in in your email, or say as your, your footer in your email, which I do, is every first email you send to someone now, that becomes an attachment. So that Dream 100 list is now attached. It's not really an attachment, but it looks like it to the receiver if they're also using a Gmail email service. So that in itself, people see that and they're like, this is interesting. And we're told all the time that's like this curiosity element. It just forces people to click in and we prompt them and say, hey, this is our dream list. Do you know anybody on here? Or maybe someone similar to the folks on this list. We'd love a connection. And you know, we they know we have a podcast. We preface all that. So I would say it's at least twice a week we'll get a connection from that list or someone that's very similar to that caliber of that person on that list. And it really automates our referrals. We don't ever have to source people. And, and usually it, it it's kind of crazy, but it's usually the biggest names will pop up to us. I mean, it's wild. I mean, it's it's completely us not really doing much for them or trying, I guess. It's, it's putting the systems out there and being consistent with it all. Yet again,
0: systems.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll add to that as well. There, there's there's a little bit of a snowball effect that also happens with podcasting, right? Where if you can get a couple big names, then when you go after other big names, they see the past big names that you had and it makes it easier to convince them to come on the show. So there is, there is that element. I would say pretty much like every sort of bigger name we've had on the show has their own individual story, but a big chunk of them did just come from making a dream 100 list in a Google sheet, attaching it to the footers of our emails and just random people making intros for us. The best way that we've found to connect with other people, though, is just to simply ask for the intros. I think there's so many people that there's like this, like the hot girl in the bar syndrome where like Mm. nobody's talking to the hottest girl in the bar because everybody thinks she's too unapproachable, right? But really the hot girl in the bar is going, why isn't anybody coming up and talking to me, right? Well, a lot of the big name, like influencers and marketers and people that we go after, I'm actually shocked at how little they're getting approached to be on podcasts like ours. A lot of times we'll ask them and they're like, yeah, I mean, I I really don't get asked that often. So I think there is an element of these bigger names. They just don't get as asked as often as you would think to be on shows. And just simply reaching out or reaching out to someone who you know is connected is enough to get them on.
0: There's, there's so many facets to that. I love the analogy with, with kind of the hot girl and so on. But also what you guys were saying, just I would, I would just sum it up with the word momentum. Like once mm. you get a couple of bigger name people, then it's easier to get the next one and the next one. And we can apply that to just about anything. I mean, you could you could look at the other side of podcasting and if you are able to get on like some of the bigger podcasts, then it's just easier and easier to get on some of the bigger podcasts. Just being on uh, Pat Flynn's podcast alone has opened up so many doors for me in the past few months, but also like selling courses, like the first 10 courses you sell are going to be a lot harder than like the hundredth one you sell because you got to start getting that, that momentum or memberships or affiliate marketing. And I think a lot of this is comes down to momentum in general.
2: That's a good way to sum it up. And that's why those previous podcasts of ours and some of the courses just didn't really pan out so well. We didn't have enough momentum behind it, right?
0: All right, guys. Well, this this has been a true pleasure. I really appreciate it. And best of luck to both of you with this upcoming course launch. Uh, since that we're, that's what we're mostly focused on here. So to wrap this up, I'm, I'll just give each of you just kind of a, hey, closing thoughts, closing statement. Tell us your clubhouse username, where we can find you there, where else we can find you if you want us to. And, and there's any other, any closing thoughts like for this particular audience of course creators, aspiring course creators, people running memberships, people aspiring to run a membership that you'd like to share that maybe hasn't come up. So Joe... Why don't you go first?
2: Sure. Yeah. Thanks. I guess we'll start with the clubhouse and all the socials. It's basically Joe Fear, J-O-E-F-I-E-R. If you find me on those channels. And I would say closing thoughts. I mean, we nailed a lot of the core concepts that we actually talk about a lot. So momentum, consistency, and systems. I would think about how to how to create a journey in an ecosystem that kind of feeds itself. Because that's, if you, if you kind of picked up on it, that's really what we do. And we're doing further with this new pod hacker course we're about to release. So it's, if you can create this kind of this wheel of momentum or, you know, a flywheel, I guess, you know, if you kind of take the Jim Collins approach, yeah. it's like build the flywheel. I feel like that's really what we've done. And it started with our podcast. I mean, it really started with stuff before then, but that was the public thing. And we just kind of just built from there. So find that core piece for you and maybe it's the online course or maybe it's a YouTube channel and the online course is the derivative of that. I mean, everyone's a little different, but I think of that flywheel. I think it's going to end the long game is really the key here.
0: Well said.
3: Yeah, so I'm Matt Wolf on Clubhouse. Pretty much all my other social media accounts are Matt R. Wolf because apparently the name Matt Wolf is fairly common. Even if you Google me, there's like a musician and a golfer and a politician and a real estate agent all named Matt Wolf. So I'm Matt R. Wolf on most platforms, but I actually got Matt Wolf on Clubhouse. So, the sort of one of the, the things I wanted to close with here is uh, there was something that, that Gary Vaynerchuk said at TNC a couple of years ago that really, really stuck with me. And I feel like it's kind of like, the essence of what we're trying to accomplish here. And he said, as marketers, we're all trying to just day trade attention. And that concept has really sort of like solidified in my brain as like what we're trying to do as a business is we're trying to essentially monetize attention, right? We're trying to get people to pay attention to us so we can monetize that attention. And in order to get people to pay attention to us so that we can monetize the attention, we have to go to other places where the attention exists. So if we can go on other people's podcasts, if we can go on clubhouse, if I can go buy uh, Facebook or Google ads at a rate cheaper than I can monetize that attention for. That is all we're trying to do as a business. I am trying to acquire attention so I can turn around and monetize that attention through affiliate offers, through courses, through uh, sponsorships. That is the business model in a nutshell is day trading attention, find ways to get attention, find ways to monetize that attention. And that's what we're doing in a nutshell. And I, I think just understanding that really kind of simplified the business model that we're trying to accomplish in my mind.
0: Awesome. Well, despite the attitude that 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 you you guys work at a touch courses again a few years ago, you you both really brought it today. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks so much. Take care, guys. All right, back at you with Dr. K. All right, there there's the full convo. Matt and Joe and myself. What'd you think?
1: That was a lot of fun. I mean, I could definitely relate to those guys and see why they've developed a really loyal following. I mean, it'd be fun to sit down and have a beer with them and chat and, and I might start listening to their podcast more. So I really enjoyed it. Now, would it be a Corona or would it be something else? Oh, I'd be like the craft IPA guy. Okay. Got it.
0: Yeah. It was, it was, you know, it was really interesting. I think there's a lot of people listening to our podcast that either have failed a lot or they just haven't found their thing yet. They haven't found the success they're looking for yet. And it was interesting over. if we're talking overall first, right? They've been doing things online for a long time, some successful, some not at all successful. And I think those experiences are extremely important. You know, Piano in 21 Days was not my first venture. And if it were, it, it probably wouldn't have been successful. And so if you're out there struggling, like that's one of the big takeaways I would like to see you really focus in on from these guys is, Failure is not necessarily a bad thing. We learn from it. We pick up the pieces and you look at where they were when they started their podcast. They had all this amazing experience. So, there was almost no choice then for this podcast and this venture to succeed. Right, definitely.
1: And uh, I love the focus on systems. Obviously, you you love systems. When they make your business successful, I appreciate those. I was impressed. They said that recording their podcast, they could drop it down to about three hours per month, I, I think they said. So very impressive. Since we recorded last, you and I both went on a trip. And uh, I went on a trip to Sedona with my parents. It was really a, a neat thing to share that beautiful place with my mom and dad. But I did have one takeaway just for this podcast podcast. And I know right now your focus is on piano in 21 days, but I got to watch my parents behavior. They're about 67 and my dad definitely watches some YouTube videos. And so I asked him what he actually subscribes to. He subscribes to uh, a couple families that travel around the country in an RV. And I asked him if he listens to any podcasts and he said, no, I don't really understand that at all. And so then later on, I got back home and I talked to my buddy, Danny. I said, hey, do you listen to a podcast? Do you know how? And he's like, no. And I said, do you subscribe to anything on YouTube? And he said, yeah. And so ultimately, I was like, you know, as long as you want to grow this brand at any level, one low hanging fruit would be to drop these audio feeds onto YouTube. And I looked into some research. It looks like there's an app called Headliner App. That would basically make it just a maybe a three step process to have each audio podcast drop onto YouTube. Yeah, you want
0: to do it the right way though, and what I don't like to see is when people just drop it and don't like don't include the video. It's just like a static image or something, right? And I don't think that's very engaging on YouTube. But now that you say that, David, I don't think we've talked about this, but I, I think this brings up a really good a really good nugget I could share. I've been I've been really studying and following a guy by the name of Graham Cochran. He's been on the podcast. I want to say it was 104. We can link it into the, the show notes. Actually, no, it was before 104. I'll have to look that up. But Graham Cochran is the founder of Recording Revolution. And he started that back in like 2009. It's audio-based. He teaches like how to produce music, that type of thing. And a couple years ago, he decided, okay, I'm going to put that on the back burner. I'm going to start my own personal brand teaching about online business. Does this ring a bell? Do you remember that episode? The name is familiar. I can't remember the episode. Well, Graham, he's been very successful with his his new venture and, you know, another lesson in just like focus, right? He really kind of put the, the recording revolution on the back burner, had some other people run it and really focused on the new brand. Whereas with me, I was very much split between the two. But anyway, as I've been kind of dissecting his business and I've been talking to him a little bit, what I realized is to me, the most brilliant thing that he's doing, and this ties right along with what you were just saying, is when he started about two years ago, he said, okay, here's how I'm going to build an audience. And and build traffic is once a week, I'm gonna make I'm gonna I'm gonna put together some content and I'm gonna record that content. It's gonna be about 30 minutes long. I'm gonna record myself on video with a nice microphone, and I'm gonna take that and I'm gonna turn it into a podcast, a YouTube video, and a blog. Same piece Mm -hmm. of content, right? And he he's never really, I've never really heard him explain it this simply. In fact, I I was kind of looking around, I was trying to figure out how he was able to be so successful with something that seems so simple. I was like, Graham, is it really as simple as I'm 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 seeing it? And he's like, you know, it really is that simple. And so every Monday, he comes up with this content idea and flushes it out and kind of of gets all his bullet points together. And then I think on Wednesdays, he'll record it. And like I said, each one's about 30 minutes. You can subscribe to the Graham Cochran podcast. You can go to the Graham Cochran YouTube channel. And every week, it's the same thing. It's the same content coming out on the YouTube channel the podcast and then he also I don't know if it's him writing the blog post or somebody on his team writing the blog post but he also posts the video on a blog post and then has a lot of text underneath it as well once a week he has over 20,000 YouTube subscribers he's got you know a very successful podcast and most importantly he's got a very very successful just business that's now two years old, that's on pace to make seven figures this year with a ridiculously simple traffic strategy and zero paid ads. Nice. So that goes right along with what you're saying. It's like, okay, if you have a podcast, but like, let's also have a YouTube version as well, because two examples you just shared, people like, Don't even know how to subscribe to a podcast.
1: Right. If more people know how to subscribe to YouTube than a podcast, it makes sense to start there and and then have the podcast.
0: Yeah. But if you can, if if you can make a decision, that's what I'm trying to get as like, okay, if you're struggling with building an audience with traffic, like let's keep it simple. Like one piece of content, even if you want to put it in three places and be consistent with it. I think that's, that's the winning formula right there
1: all right so i love this idea that you guys were talking about how things started and then where they are today And again you mentioned the idea of this first video that mm. is uh, just kind of embarrassing jacques i think it's time that that we roll out and and share that first video that you recorded so how about if anybody wants to see jock's first video you jump into the online course community and uh, let's just call out all the people that have been on your show and that we know are very successful today and say let's let's share your first video under the uh, the posting for this this video, so call out some specifics. So Abby Ashley, Nate Dodson, Jason Dion, Helena Liu, Leon Turetsky, John Petrohilos, Jeremy Deegan, Stephanie Taylor. You guys are all super successful. I want to see. I want you to go back through your archives and find your first video and share that below the post for this podcast.
0: I'm going to I'm going to show it to people one day, but I'm going to people are going to really have to push me for when they hear this to post it because it's certainly embarrassing. I was actually showing it to my wife about a week ago and she was like, turn this off. I can't even watch this. This is this is so embarrassing.
1: Oh, it's come up a couple times. You got to share it below this podcast episode. Let's if, see it.
0: If the demand is there, then then we'll see. But if nobody asks for it, then I'm not going to do it. Well, spoil sport, I guess.
1: All right. I love this idea that of their partnership. I loved how they said that they've been called a boy band or the flow bros. But it was interesting. They actually had about a 10 year friendship. It sounded like before they actually started this most recent podcast. And I was thinking back when you invited me to join you as jock and the doc on this podcast, you had to have some significant hesitations about whether it would work out. I mean, we'd barely talked. So, were you basically prepared to uh, kick me off the podcast relatively quickly?
0: You know we we knew each other to an extent, you know, you you were coming at it from a from an interesting perspective because you had listened to every episode. you had taken my course. you know, we we had we had talked many times. and I could sit like just with the with the our our conversations we had had. I could sense. The the value that you could bring to this, right? And that's that's one of the things that that I really appreciate about you is you're always coming to these episodes really well prepared, both with the takeaways from the conversations from the guests or just other just random things. So I, I could see that. So but but at the same time, yeah, I guess I would have, I, you know, if 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 it didn't work out, we would have had to just <laughs> cut cut it, and it and it wouldn't have worked long term. But I, you know, it's it's working out. From a, a different starting point than say these guys, and there's plenty of podcasts out there that have, you know, co-hosts. You know, we, like Jonathan and Brad on the Choose Fi podcast. You know, those guys knew each other a long time before that. But you know, one thing different that we do compared to Matt and Joe, uh, Jonathan and Brad, and so on, is you know you're not you're not in the interview. Right And there's a lot of reasons we don't do it that way. So I think it's a lot less pressure on your side as well. So yeah, I, I don't know. What do, you, what do you think?
1: Yeah, well, I've enjoyed being a part of it and always hoping that I, I provide some value and and ask some good questions and just bring more value. Yeah. Well, so it was interesting how they just talked about affiliates. And I've always thought of an affiliate as the only option is a revenue share, And they mentioned the option of actual equity. They mentioned barter. So have you had experiences with people coming to you with equity or barter opportunities?
0: Yes, I have. I'm usually somewhat skeptical in cases like that. I know they have an arrangement, for example, with Members Pro, Chris Benetti, those guys who, you know, Chris has been on the podcast. And and when when I first met Joe and Matt, we started talking about different people we know, this and that. And it was amazing how much crossover there was. And they're like, oh, we, yeah, we're very much involved with Members Pro. And you probably remember when I was talking, when we did the episode, reviewing all the different course platforms, how much I, I love Members Pro. It just didn't quite have all the features that I want. And then, There's been a couple of times where I have, you know, coached certain people with their course in exchange for, uh, you know, a podcast appearance or maybe, well, actually, here's a great example. There's a podcast listener right now, Mark Kaiser. Shout out to Mark, who is a uh, landscape architect in Florida. And I'm coaching him up on on his new course on landscape architecture here, and he's helping me do some landscape architecture sh- designs for my for my house. Awesome. So yes, I, I do like I like the barter. I don't have any like equity type stuff. There's been a few opportunities here that that didn't seem quite right, but I've certainly
1: bartered before. Nice. So again, I'm a chiropractor, and after school, I went and did an internship in Kalispell, Montana. I worked for a doctor named Dr. Tony Pop and he bartered for everything. It was unreal. He had a, a guy that came and cleaned his fish tanks for adjustments. He had this lady that dropped off like extra large mocha frappuccino every week for adjustments. But I went over to his house and there's a tarp on top of the roof and it was the winter time. And I was like, why do you have that tarp up on your roof? And he was like, oh, I bartered with some roofers. And he said, I fixed their backs quicker than they fixed my roof. <laughs> And so the whole time I was out there working for him from Thanksgiving until Valentine's Day, and there was a tarp on his roof the entire time. So kind of an interesting, it's like barter for things, but if it's a certain level of essential... Be careful about that. Mm -hmm. Don't barter for your roof to be repaired. (laughs) There you go. Uh, You mentioned before the interview, just this idea that they mail out the cliff notes to their membership. That completely caught me by surprise that these technical or technological gurus, one of their top products is a mail, an actual physical newsletter. So what did you think about that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Very, I mean, you, you know how I feel about physical stuff in general, not a great place to start. But in this online world, it's an interesting way to just kind of break through that and add something that's just kind of special. And it doesn't sound like it's overly complicated what they have or what they send out, but there is value there and people appreciate it. And it's a, it's a nice little value add to their membership. Now a little paper newsletter probably a lot cheaper to send out than my physical package with my book and my flashcards and the t-shirt and everything. But yeah, I love it. I think it's uh, I think it's great. It sounds like their audience loves it too.
1: Yeah, and in the context about talking about that about the membership, you know, I love that they just said, "How can we provide value without adding work to our plate?" And so they were going to record the podcast every week. And so then it was just finding this summarizer to listen and create the Cliff Notes. The guests on the podcast should create the lead magnets and the extra value that goes in the membership, getting the sponsors for that actual newsletter. It just it was really slick how, how they created these uh, value things that don't create extra work from them. All right. So Clubhouse. So I'm going to be honest and, and, and say that I've developed a deep uh, animosity to Clubhouse. I am not a fan. So take away the idea uh, of using it as a business builder. I mean, when I think about Clubhouse, I I drop back to just being a consumer of content. And as a a content consumer, I view this platform as like being the mean girl in junior high who tells this whole group of girls, like, you're only allowed to tell your secrets to me. And she's kind of a bully. and, And it's like, I mean, I hate this idea that, that you're only allowed to share things on Clubhouse and then people can't listen to it any time. And so I just view it as a selfish platform. What's your current stance on Clubhouse? Yeah, so that's your, your
0: negative is a lot of people's positive though, right? That's, that is the allure and the uniqueness of Clubhouse. So I see both sides, but my current stance is I don't love it, but I also haven't figured out completely how to use it it's, I'm very much just like planner, left brain, and the fact that, I mean, I guess you can like schedule upcoming events, but the fact that you can't go back and listen to something that happened, I can't listen to it at double speed, right? It's just kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a time suck, right? Especially when not used properly. And so, I just, you know, I got into it for about a week. I wanted to give it a fair shot, but I haven't I haven't used it lately. And I just don't I, I just don't know that it's the 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 best platform for me, but I totally could see how it's a good platform for other people.
1: Right. I, I agree. I mean, the takeaway, the growth of Clubhouse tells us that there's this place for more organic, more free-flowing conversations, for more interaction with the people that follow you. I mean, I agree with all of that, but I just think that that like for you specifically, do it in a way that serves your fans and that serves you better. And so that means having a similar thing to a Clubhouse room, but just doing it on a platform where you can record it, you can share it, share it as a podcast, you can share it on YouTube. If you were consistently going live on Clubhouse with other course creators, with Stephanie Taylor, with Helena Liu, I would actually feel resentful because I like listening to your content. I'd love to hear what they're up to, but I'm just not going to jump on it at, at that exact time. And yeah. so, so that's, that's my emotion. And then one thing I will say is that clubhouse, you know, it seems like they're going to be zucked, so to speak. So, you know, they're Mark Zuckerberg has already been on clubhouse and it seems like he'll create an Instagram version of this. Mm. So I feel like it's a rapidly changing, just, just place. And then also I just got an email this morning from Jonathan and Brad at choose FI and it looks like they're going live on another platform called Stereo really yeah so yes they're gonna do a a live podcast with interaction with the fans on stereo i think maybe tonight and it looked like 120 people were gonna join them there so yeah it's just a rapidly rapidly changing world with all these new apps popping up and i'm not convinced that clubhouse in its current form today is the one that's gonna win
0: interesting yeah i hadn't even heard about this this clubhouse alternative stereo i just googled clubhouse versus, versus stereo but yeah you know, it's when you're when you're at that. You know, we we're talking about the platform earlier, and I was like, you know, what if you just made a decision? Okay, one piece of content, we could put it on YouTube, we could put it on a podcast and a blog. You know, there's no limit to where we could go. Like, it could be a slippery slope too. It's like, okay, well, if I do that, then we could also make a Pinterest post. Then we could also, you know, break it up and do Instagram and TikTok and. Snapchat and you know, there's just there's no limit, right? So we can't, right. unless you're, I don't know, who's somebody that's literally everywhere, unless you're like a Pat Flynn or Gary Vee or Ping Jun, like I, it's hard for, especially when you're first starting out, you know, your first year or two years in business to just like be in all those places. Now, what I would be a, a fan of is starting in two or three places and then every six months, maybe adding a platform. But if you can make it the same piece of content, that's where it's really powerful. And with Clubhouse, I mean, I guess you could go live and just like read from a script of this same piece of content. But other than that, it's not like you're, it's not pre-recorded stuff that you're uploading like the other platforms. Like it's its live audio
1: and that's it. Right. But what do we know? What do we know, Dr. K? Hey, the, I like- mean... Well, yeah. And again, I, my take on it is as a consumer, not as somebody trying to build a network. I mean, I, I see the opportunity there to get on there and, and network with people, but that's kind of a separate, separate thing. And there's a value there about just having these real conversations. Yes. So in the conversation about drop funnels, it sounded like you're taking your first steps toward leaving click funnels, which mm-hmm. as, as thinking as, of you as a Russell Brunson fanboy, that kind of caught me by surprise. Is that likely to happen? Man,
0: I don't know. I'm not sure. So I'm on this WordPress-based solution and all the WordPress stuff is so much cheaper than than the other the other stuff, right? So Buddy Boss Learn Dash that combination is is a couple hundred dollars a year, whereas most online course platforms are at least a hundred dollars a month. And it's the same with all the other types of software. Your your affiliate type software, automation type software. You know, I've got I've got something in there called automator WP that's a lot like Zapier. But significantly cheaper, right? And so the main kind of competitor to ClickFunnels from a WordPress perspective is called Cart Flows, which I have been playing with it. I got to tell you, man, their support is horrible. Cart- okay. flows support is awful. Like I asked them a very very simple question, and they like I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you. I was asking them about setting them a payment plan on my order form, and and the and their answer was was so off the wall. And then I try, I I was just like abundantly clear. And I showed them my ClickFunnels order form. I'm like, see how you have a payment plan. And the response came back like, Oh, well, if you want to monetize your course or if you want to monetize your your brand, you could consider making an online course. And then you could, you know, do this, this, and this. It was just like so high level, like. What, why, like, why aren't you even, even coming close to answering my question? Like, it was probably the worst customer support I've ever experienced. So, I mean, that, and that's big to me. So, I don't know that cart flows is going to be a viable alternative in terms of where my order forms and my funnels and my landing pages are going to be. So, for now, I'm absolutely still using ClickFunnels because there, there's a lot to like from a, a sales funnel perspective, order forms, connecting with Stripe. That's all working really well already. The course, Stopped working well for me. So that's why we moved that over. So I'm not saying either way. I'm still kind of in the middle of that. And right now I am absolutely still using ClickFunnels. Gotcha.
1: All right. Well, then they talked about getting guests and how they've gotten their Dream 100 guests. Their biggest takeaway was putting that list of their Dream 100 guests at the bottom of their email that goes out and just saying, Do you know anybody? And I found that really fascinating. So I just wanted to ask you, like, who comes to mind if we say who's kind of toward the top of your Dream One Hundred? Who would you love to talk with on the podcast? Oh goodness, man, you got to prep me for things like this. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll, sh- I'll share a couple of mine, and you can think for just a little bit. But you know, definitely at the top of my list, my my little man crush on the guys over at the Snacks Daily Podcast. Yeah. So Nick and Jack. So they they they've only done so far an audio course, but they're hilarious. Mike listen from Move You. Owen Hemseth from video marketing school. And then just in the last week, I've been listening to a bunch of content from this Jack Reciter. He does a podcast called Darknet Diaries, but then he also has a really valuable blog called Lime.link, where he gives all this information on growing a podcast. And I just really enjoyed his content. Says that he plans to create a course at some time. All right, here we go. Tim Ferriss.
0: Okay. Jocko Willick, Joe Rogan, Kevin Rose, Pat Flynn, Jermaine Griggs. If you gave me more time, I'll give you some more.
1: Okay, well, I recognized all those names except Jermaine Griggs. He's the OG of the online piano
0: course. I've, I've talked about him before, but he he created this course called hereandplay.com back in like 2001 or something. And he was one of the main speakers at the ClickFunnels Conference or in, what was it, 20, 2020, about a year ago. Yeah, last year's ClickFunnels Conference. And he he is, he's the man, he's yeah, he's awesome. Okay,
1: well, we'll have to tag some of these people on here and uh, get them on the show. That sounds great. Yeah, well, most of them are
0: pretty unrealistic,
1: but we'll see. <laughs> you never know. So in their advice there also, they, it sounded like they mentioned that if you want somebody to be a guest, one of their top advice would be to record a video where you would essentially like a bonjoro, but a record a video where you, you reach out to the person and just personally invite them. Yeah. Have you done that at all? Or would you consider adding that to the flow of uh, recruiting and, and bringing guests on?
0: You know, I have done that. I have done that. And uh, I, what I found was purely for, for my my small experiment that just email outreach worked just as well, if not better, for whatever reason. I don't know if maybe deliverability was lower with the video or what, but I did go through a period where my reach out was a video and it just it didn't work as well. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. Well, you never
1: know until you try these things.
0: Yeah, I would do I would do Loom videos and with Loom you can tell when people have watched the video and a lot of times people would never watch it or I would get notifications people watched it and I still wouldn't get a reply, right? Wow. So so I, we just found that the email kind of our template that we have, the way we reach out to people via text and email is working better. But what we'll do sometimes if, if we're kind of going back and forth a little bit, like we're, we're already communicating, then maybe I'll drop in a video, maybe answer some questions and so on. But for the initial outreach, video hasn't been the best way for
1: us. Got it. Very interesting. All right. Well, that's about all I have for this one. Cool, man.
0: Thanks for uh, thanks for coming so prepared as normal. This was a lot of fun. It was, it was uh, definitely a pleasure to get to know Joe and Matt a little bit more. And I've been listening to their podcast lately. And I, I definitely encourage others to check out the Hustle and Flowchart podcast. And thank you all out there for listening to another episode of the online course show. The show notes are going to be at oc.show 171. Until next time, get out there and make some next level courses that provide transformation to your students and not just information. Take care, everyone.